Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Diana Shimota, the CEO of Growth Mode Marketing, who specialise in demand generation marketing. Uh, so this week, we're having a bit of a masterclass in demand generation. Thanks for listening. What's the difference between demand generation and lead generation? Where does kind of inbound marketing come into the mix? And what types and formats of content do we need? And how much of it do we need? Uh, B2B marketing can be complicated, can't it? Uh, So this week, I'm chatting to Deanna Shimota, the CEO of Growth Mode Marketing, and also the host of the Demand Gen Fix podcast, who's going to be giving us a bit of a masterclass in demand generation marketing. Now, we talk about the difference between demand generation and lead generation, content styles and formats. And Deanna gives me my favourite phrase of the month, I think, which is cobblestone content cobblestone content i like that Uh, you can find diana on linkedin on the growth mode marketing website and also the demand gen fix podcast there's links in the show notes Uh, can i quickly mention that not another marketing podcast is ad free love it if you could give the pod a quick shout on social media subscribe via your favorite podcast app you can find more episodes at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Now, the first thing I asked Diana was to explain exactly what demand generation marketing is. Yeah, so demand generation is really about building brand awareness and trust so that prospects raise their hand when they're ready to buy and they're actually in market and they're reaching out to you and inviting you into their buying process versus you know the traditional marketing model which is lead generation where that's all about kind of the chase of trying to uncover prospects and pulling them into your sales process so it's kind of like they come to you yeah yes yeah, 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 totally. In, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think something to think about is you're thinking about like demand generation versus lead generation, yeah. which, you know, some marketers consider those interchangeable terms. I actually think that they're very different strategies. With demand generation, your focus is in driving value, not just with the 5% of companies that are currently in market, but mm. also with the 95% who are not looking to buy right now because those future customers are really important to your future growth and all the statistics and kind of experiences around the way b2b buyers are going through the purchase process today has changed drastically and so marketing approaches need to change because with lead generation you know some of the traditional things that we were doing were to uncover leads that were ready to buy now and we're asking those prospects for a meeting and trying to pull them into the sales process and so it might be you know putting a research report out there and gating it and Mm. asking the the prospect to submit information because they want the content that you have. And then what happens is we take their contact information, we hand it to sales, and the chase begins. Well, the reality is just because I filled out a form does not mean I'm actually in market to buy. And so I'm hearing from a lot of my clients lately and prospects that I'm talking to who are both, you know, like chief revenue officers or heads of sales or heads of marketing, that the things that they've been doing for years that traditionally brought leads in the door 
just aren't working, you know, where they're yeah, having yeah. 1,500 people look at a landing page to view a demo, but very, very little conversions on that. And I think, you know, the reality is people don't want to talk to a sales rep. <laughs> sure. And yeah, yes. <laughs> we need to change marketing because Gartner's coming out with these statistics, you know, from the research that they're doing that shows 72% of B2B buyers would prefer to have zero interaction with a sales rep during the purchase process. Yeah. And they're making up to 80% of that buying decision before they're willing to have a conversation with a salesperson which means there's a very small window for that salesperson to have influence. And if they're trying to pull them into that sales process before that prospect is ready, it's really turning people off and they're going to a different vendor who works more the way that they want to buy. Right. So so let me get this right. So I like your example about like a, I don't know, a case study or something which you can download and, and, and read. At your gen- so, so lead generation um, would be kind of like having it gated. So you have to Give give up your, your 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 contact information. You have to become a lead as such to get that information right. Yeah, Was that that right. And right. Then, yeah, that's that's that, one factor of it. I mean, yeah. I, I, I would maybe define it as lead generation is as the vendor we're chasing after those prospects. Whereas demand generation, it's about putting content out there freely. Yeah. And yeah. everywhere that your buyers are and being very hyper focused with that content, you know, with the strategies you build around it and who you're targeting and what you're saying so that you build an audience that yeah. follows you and consumes your content on a regular basis so that when they are in market to buy, they're raising their hand. Yeah. So the difference is chasing versus inbound leads. Yeah. So the, so the difference is you'd have folks will be able to come to your your landing page or whatever and just read the case study. But then how do right. you get how do you get them to contact you? Because I mean, it, <laughs> uh, yeah. How do you turn it into? Because you've got to have a lead at the end of the day somehow, haven't you? Well, you've got to have a lead at the end of the day. And, and, you know, the reality is as marketers, a lot of times we're measured on how many leads we pass to sales, right? The challenge that happens when you're gating content, when you're going out and you're doing outreach and chasing after prospects is that in normal times, only 5% of companies are actually in market to buy. So there's a lot of effort and a lot of time spent chasing after leads that are never going to go anywhere. Yeah. And those leads, you may be collecting a good quantity of leads, but the close rates are really poor. You know, the sales cycle is slow. A lot of those leads fall out. Sales gets frustrated with marketing. And the reality is, Sales is spending a lot of time and resources, which is very costly to an organization, chasing after leads that were not actually leads to begin with yeah, because they're not in market to buy. The activities that they're doing do not demonstrate buyer intent. Just because I look at your content does not mean I'm ready to talk to a salesperson. With demand generation, it's a long-term strategy. You're not going to build the engine and immediately all these inbound leads come into play. But if you're doing it really well, you've got a good strategy, you build out this content engine and you keep feeding it, within 6 to 12 months of doing that, you're going to start to see inbound leads. And what that is is these people that have started to follow you they like what you're saying. They like your unique point of view. 
it resonates with them. So they continue to consume your content. And yeah. what happens is over time, it's called, you know, creating demand. There's two parts to demand generation. There's demand creation and there's demand capture. With the demand creation, you're putting all that content out there. You're not asking for anything in return. You're just trying to build brand awareness, build trust, and, and ultimately an affinity for your brand mm. so that when they actually are in market, because remember, 80% of their decision happens before they're willing to talk to a sales rep, you actually make the short list. They raise their hand. They tap you on the shoulder. They're like, hey, I've been following you. I like what you're saying. I would like to have a conversation with you. The quality of those leads mm. are significantly higher because these are people that are all actually in market. They're not going to reach out if they're not in market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so shorter sales cycles, higher close rates, and overall um, lower customer acquisition costs. Yeah, I've just written down leads better quality on my, on my notepad. And, <laughs> and you're right, yeah. It's, it's kind of like you're moving the you're moving the timeline slightly maybe so 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 right. so maybe maybe instead of getting leads really really quickly and then having a long sales process you're having a longer lead generation sort of process and then a shorter sales cycle would that be right 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 you know and and if you step take a step back and think about all the effort that sales puts into trying to close business if your focus is on quantity mm. You're going to push a lot of leads through. You're going to have low close rates. If the focus is on quality, I mean, five really quality leads is going to beat out a hundred low intent buying leads hmm. that never close and turn into anything. So the numbers over time, actually you close more business and it becomes a catalyst for growth because you're you're uncovering the companies that are actually in market to buy versus chasing after everybody that's in your total addressable market. Yeah. Well, when you first when we first started chatting, I, I was thinking to myself, this sounds very much like just inbound marketing. But now I'm thinking to myself, this is inbound marketing is kind of like a part of the process. Would that be right? Yeah, I think that's fair to say, you know, and, and we're, we're talking about demand generation in such like high level terms, you know, to, to yeah. break it down for people in what it means to build a demand generation engine. You know, when I look at it, like at our agency growth mode marketing, when we're working with clients, there's three pillars to a demand generation engine. There's the strategy, there's the content, and there's the distribution. Mm. And to break it down even more, so when you're looking at the strategy, this is really the blueprint for setting the direction of what you're going to do from a demand generation standpoint. The very first building block of that is identifying and defining your ideal customer profile. Sure. So these are companies that are going to be the best fit company for your products and services. So, it's so, really so we important. are target. We are target. We're not just throwing stuff out and just crossing our fingers and right. hoping for the best. It's not hope, right? We're, yeah, we're actually targeting, <laughs> right? Right, right. It's a very intentional strategy, you know. And the reason that we recommend, like, you need an ideal customer profile, is because if you're going into a really crowded market. So, for example, we work with a lot of HR technology companies. There's twenty-one thousand plus 
HR technology solutions across the globe in the market. Hmm. It's very competitive. It's very crowded. And HR tech buyers happen to be one of the most targeted um, departments by sales reps within an organization. Hmm. So you have to break through the clutter. Yeah. So defining that ideal customer profile is really important because if you don't, you're essentially going out there and you're trying to be everything to everybody. Yeah. And so your message positioning is very diluted. You're not going to break through the clutter very easily. Yeah. You end up being if nothing you... to no one, don't you? Or something. What's the right, phrase? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you think about it like, let's say you're a chief HR officer at a manufacturing company and you've got 50 different um, hiring platforms sending marketing to you and you need yeah. to pick one. They're all kind of going to blend together, right? But let's say you have one that's very specifically talking to HR leaders of manufacturing companies. They understand the nuances of hiring and shift work and all the things that are very specific to working in a manufacturing setting. Their content is going to speak to me much more than all the rest that are saying we can do the same things mm. because they seem to get me. So you stand out in the crowd from those 50 other or 49 other companies you're competing against. And that's really where narrowing down your audience actually will accelerate your growth because you'll get better traction with that particular group. Yeah. Then from that standpoint, like, okay, I've, I've created my ideal customer profile. We know exactly who we need to be talking to and, and marketing to. Next, it's about developing what we call your unique point of view story framework. Right. And this is a story that you're building in the market, specifically talking to your ideal customer profile, that helps challenge thinking for people. So you want them to read your stuff and really think about it. And, you know, it's okay for it to be something that some people will agree with and some won't. Sure. Because that gets them thinking, and the ones who agree with you are more likely to follow along with your content. If everybody agrees with you, it's not an original thought. Yeah. And it's not yeah. challenging thinking in any way. Um, so it's a good thing. And yeah. then, you know, that third piece of the strategy is you're going to build out that content marketing and demand generation plan. And that's really like, okay, how are we going to execute on this now? So everything you're doing is very focused on that ideal customer profile, I like to say you're hyper-focused on talking to them and telling that unique point of view story over and over and over because it takes repetition. I mean, Gartner Research now says it takes an average of 66 touches really? before a prospect is open to talking to a sales rep. Oh, yeah. man, so that's, you've got to hit it? them a lot. Yeah I, I remember, yeah, I remember years ago when I was working in radio, We it, it used to be about 30. It used to yeah, be about th yeah, for, for radio. <laughs> you'd need to hear the radio commercial 30 times before you recognized it. You know, yeah. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, so that next part of the second pillar of the demand generation engine is content. Yeah. And that's really identifying, like, what are the key topics that we're going to talk about? You know, you kind of map out that framework when you're building that unique point of view, you know, on here are the things that matter that we'll talk about. This is kind of taking it to a more granular level then and making sure we're creating content for every stage of the funnel. 
Yeah. Because again, they're they're almost making their decision before they even talk to you. So they need to be able to go deep. Sure. Um, depending on where they're at in their decision making, and then you need to have content in multiple formats. Yeah, I was I was thinking that I've just written that down. Ways. Yeah, I've just written down formats. How do you decide on kind of like whether somebody would prefer it to be an ebook, a PDF, a video, a social media thing on LinkedIn? Yeah. How do you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hopefully when you're doing the research for your ideal customer profile, you're actually talking to some of the companies and key people in them that are part of that best fit profile Yeah. to understand like what type of content do you like to consume? Where do you go to find this information? Um, who do you talk to? How do you educate yourself on these different things so that you can then shape your strategy around creating that type of content and going to the places where they're showing up and they're looking for information. But we like to look at content from the perspective of creating cornerstone content right? and cobblestones to support it. And what I mean by that is a cornerstone is going to be like a big piece. Yeah. So let's say, for example, you're doing a podcast series. Yeah. That's your cornerstone content. From that, you can create cobblestones, which are bite-sized chunks and different formats of all that content. So, for example, if if we're creating a a podcast, you can record that session and now you've got a video of the podcast as well. You can create social media, like short video clips from it. Um, Let's say it's a 30-minute podcast. You can probably get five video clips out of that. You can create social media posts. You can create an article out of it. Um, You know, there's just all these different ways to think about how do we repackage this content. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of content do you see that's popular? I mean, what is popular kind of across the board? Is it video? Yeah, you know... (laughs) Video is very popular and I, I think it, it, it really depends on the audience and the type of roles that they're in because yeah. some some audiences, like if you're talking to engineers, they like to go deep. That's to read something. Content. They're yeah. very analytical. Yeah, yeah, they're the kind that would be perfectly happy reading your 20-page research report. Yeah, they wouldn't want to TikTok. Go to like, Right. They wouldn't want a TikTok. <laughs> then you look at like a marketer audience, for example, you know. We like short bursts of content. Yeah. We like looking at um, things on LinkedIn. There's a lot of people, you know, doing personal branding and talking about topics on there. We like watching short videos, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it really depends on the audience, you know, and I sure. think it's important to understand who your audience is. But ultimately, the goal is, you know, different people consume content differently. So you should have all different formats. But instead of reinventing the wheel every time or creating a piece of content, setting it and forgetting it, you're looking at how do I maximize this topic and how do I basically slice and dice this and sweat that content to turn into multiple content pieces so that it continues to work for you well beyond that original blog article or or whatever format you would do for it. The cobblestones, the cobblestone content. I like that. I've not heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to someone yesterday, a prospect actually, and he's like, ooh, you know, those cobblestones then pave the road to success. <laughs> wow. Like, That's brilliant. I'm stealing that. Oh, steal that one. Yeah, write that one down <laughs> right. and keep it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. 
Yeah. So that third pillar then of, of your demand generation engine is going to be the distribution. And yeah. what that is, is how do you get that content out in front of your ideal customer profile? Sure. You want to show up, you know, not everywhere, but everywhere that they're showing up, right? So if you've done that research and you understand, like they go to the re these different resources to look at things, it helps you with that distribution plan. And, you know, there's three avenues you need to look at when you're doing your distribution. Um, the first and the most obvious is your website. It's your digital storefront. Yep. You've got to have good content on it. Your website's yep. got to be good. And you want a prospect that comes to your site to be able to go deep into your content if they want to and sure. to understand your product. And, you know, that means putting pricing on your website, putting yeah. video demos on yeah. your website, yeah. putting customer testimonies, you know, all the things that during a sales process traditionally the salespeople would have provided yeah, to and, them. And people don't do that, do they? They don't do No, that. not a lot. You know, yeah. and and I think when prospects come to your website, you know, and they can't find like pricing, for example, they're going to jump to the next website where they're very well maybe pricing on there. And yeah. I know that that's an example that sometimes it's really difficult to put your pricing out there. But sure. for some companies, it's actually fairly straightforward and it's not a bad thing to do. Yeah, I think I think uh, so. If you've got a really big, long, hefty sales process, I, I don't know, you're yeah. you're, you're building a call center for somebody, then you can't put your price for that on the website, can you? But I mean, yeah, right. But you know, maybe there's ways that you can kind of help them pre-qualify whether yes. you're going to be a fit for them. Like you have to have a minimum of this, or do you, you have know, a million dollars or not? Thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like to give them an idea. And, yeah. and, you know, I think it helps improve the lead quality, too, because if people self opt out because they're like, ah, obviously, I'm too small to work with this company or, or this yeah. is going to be too yeah. expensive for where we're at from our own, you know, size of a company. Sure. Um, the next avenue to look at is managed channels. And these are channels where you can control what is put out and when. And I like to think about this as this is where you're building your company's audience. Right. So you want them to consume on an ongoing basis the content that you're putting out there. Think about things like this could be your email campaigns, your newsletters, podcasts, blogs, webinar mm -hmm. series, social media, yeah. things where you can regularly push content out on those channels. And then the third channel or avenue, um, which sometimes we recommend a company actually start with this if they don't have a lot of brand awareness yet, sure. is third party channels where you're tapping into other yeah. established audiences, audiences that are yeah. relevant. Yeah. Yep. So that's going out there and it might be, you know, being a guest on someone else's podcast or yeah. advertising in their industry publication sure. or, you know, leveraging their email list. You know, there's there's yeah. lots of pay to play opportunities out there, yeah, um, yeah. getting on review sites, stuff like that. There's also some opportunities where you may be able to trade content with someone or even, you know, be able to tap into their audience without having to pay to play. Yeah. So, yeah. How, how do you kind of like measure? How do you measure the results that you give? I mean, I mean, are we just talking about Google <laughs> Analytics or, or do we go into it a lot more detail? Yeah, that, that is a great question. You know, I have 
been a firm believer in measuring marketing programs for the longest time. I think because as a marketer, we've always had to prove that the money we're investing is helping grow the company, right? Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, yeah. You, you look at other departments in the organization, they don't have to prove themselves the way marketing and sales always have sure. to prove yes. ourselves. Yeah. So we've kind of been pigeonholed into this measure everything, be able to tell the story, justify it. The reality is, and what I've come to realize, like as the way people buy is evolving and changing, yeah. is that you can't, actually measure everything in the moment that it happens and so i think you have to really take a step back and say okay here are the marketing activities we are doing what can we measure now yeah what are things that will take a while to be able to see the results and measure from and so you take a podcast as an example again like you don't know who listens to your podcast and and truthfully like i haven't found a way where you can actually find out how many people truly listen to your podcast you can see downloads from different sites you know so you get a a general idea from it yeah well it's a a little bit like um it's a little bit like youtube you know within two or three seconds of you clicking play it's classed as you viewed it right yeah but yeah whether you watched yeah 30 minutes or you watched two minutes right exactly so you 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 i think in those cases, you look at like the leading indicators on things, sure. Um, to start to see like, are we getting any views? Are we getting any downloads? Those are things we can watch. We don't know how that translates into no. actual sales. I think the reality is, you know, even if you're doing like digital advertising, for example, you could say, oh, we we brought them in on digital ads. Well, I guarantee you most b2b buyers were not looking you know online and Mm. an ad popped up and they clicked on it and that's why they bought from you you know there was probably a a long and twisty path of learning about your organization and your products and services before they ever clicked on that ad and so um, one of the things that we've found that is helpful in understanding truly like what is driving revenue and and response rates for us as an organization beyond what we can easily measure is when a lead comes in the door Hmm. asking them yeah you know how'd you learn about us where'd you find us you decide to buy right you know and and for some organizations they'll be like the response we get like about 50 percent of them say I listened to your podcast and yeah. I have been for months. Yeah, well, yeah. there was no way for us to measure that sure. at the output. But once they come in the door, you can get a bit more insight. And so you can start to build that story out for your leadership team to say, we're making these investments. We yeah. can't tell you who listens to our podcast or even how many exactly listen to our podcast. But these are the things that we can measure. Yeah. Same with like, LinkedIn, for example, you know, if yeah. you're you're doing a lot of personal branding for the company on there, you can't measure how much that drives decisions until you sure. ask them. Ask people, yeah. But yeah. there's indicators like you can look at the comments you're getting and you know the direct messages you're getting and and different things to say. Okay, it feels like it's working. We're gonna keep doing it. Yeah. And then when they finally start to come in the door, you can get a better picture because you yeah. can ask them out, right? Yeah. But even then, you know, they'll probably name one thing. Yeah. But they probably, you know, they but probably they, read they the articles. Have, they probably might have been the 66 touches. 
Right. It was 66 touches. And they mentioned one of them. They mentioned one of them. Exactly. Exactly. So I really think it's an omni channel approach to selling people today and and bringing them along on this buyer's journey, you know, and, and the way to look at marketing and demand generation and knowing how prospects buy and how resistant they are to talking to a sales rep today is you've got to think about it as your digital footprint needs to become your best sales rep yeah and so how big and comprehensive is your digital footprint so that they can find out a lot of information about you regardless of whichever stage they are in the buying decision yeah yeah. Uh, it's fascinating I could chat for ages about this. It's um, I've learned a lot. I've really learned a lot. Um, Deanna, where can we find you? Where can we find um, growth mode marketing? Yeah, if you're interested in learning more about how to create a catalyst for growth through demand generation, I would say check out Growth Mode Marketing's podcast, The cool. Demand Gen Fix. Um, you can cool. find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I also encourage people to follow me, Deanna Shimoda, on LinkedIn because I regularly post insights and best practices on demand generation. And then, of course, we have lots of information on our website, too, yeah. which is growthmodemarketing.com. Fantastic. What I'll do is I'll put a load of links in the show notes and folks can tap away um, to their heart's content. Um, Deanna, thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, John. Thanks again to Deanna for her time. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe for more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.